It's been a good day. Uh, I appreciate Mark. I appreciate Marty and just their wisdom and um, just sharing their life experiences. I think for a lot of us uh, to get up and, and talk about Scripture, some of you maybe even feel comfortable with that, but when you talk about love, when you talk about marriage, when you talk about conflict, and when you talk about sex uh, and how that applies to you personally, we all, we all get a little awkward, right? We freeze up a little bit. And so I appreciate Mark and I appreciate Marty, not just uh, proclaiming scripture and the gospel, because we definitely need that, but talking about how that filters um, through their own life, how that works out in their own life through their struggles, through their joys, through their uh, achievements and successes, but also through their failures. That's really, really valuable to hear. And so I'm thankful for these guys. Thankful for you, Marty. Appreciate you sharing. And uh, we're going to end the seminar with sex, because you can't have a marriage seminar and not talk about sex. Uh, it's a crucial topic in our culture. It's a crucial topic in marriage. It's a crucial topic if you're single. And it's a topic, honestly, we don't talk about enough. Uh, in church, we, um, we stray away from this topic, maybe because it is so sensitive, uh, because there's so many responses that could be present in the room, we just avoid it. Um, and even in a room this size, there's different responses, right? There's, uh, some of you have a very healthy relationship with sex. And so you were a virgin when you got married. Um, you and your wife have great sex. Um, you think it's very healthy, and you, you come here today, and, and you don't even understand how some people could have baggage with sex. I know when I do premarital counseling, it never fails. We go through all the expectations and conflict and finances, and then we get to sex, and you separate the guy, and I take the guy, and my wife would take the girl and go on a walk or something very manly, and, um, <laughs> and we talk about sex, and it's always like, the guy's always like, well, no, I got this. Conflict, finances, expectations, that's going to be hard, but... I'm going to dominate at this. Like, this is going to be great, right? I got this. I'm not going to have any trouble at all. And then you, you start talking about the woman and her needs. And ha Have you ever had this conversation before? Oh, no, I, we'll just figure it out. Okay, okay. Um, and then we do postmarital counseling with those guys <laughs> because they got a lot of issues. Um, so there's a lot of us that think, I got this. This is healthy. But there's some of us who have a lot of pain and shame around sex. And even now, just entering in this session, it took a lot of courage for you to even be here and not sneak out the back door. Because it brings up a lot of emotions that you haven't dealt with and that you don't like to deal with. And then there's some of us who just hate talking about it. We, we think it should be private. Like, we think you really shouldn't talk about sex in church. I mean, that's, that's sort of personal. I mean, that's for at home with my spouse or with my closest friends. Like, we really shouldn't address sex. And so wherever you are in that process, we all need to address it. Like, even if you hate talking about it, even if you have shame associated with it, even if you think, I'm doing great at this, we need to talk about and look at what Scripture says about sex because sex is all around us in our culture. Like, I was at the grocery store last week with my five-year-old daughter who's learning how to read. And I just look at the magazines, and they're all about sex, making their sales pitch for sex. Your best sex now, your rebound sex, how to have the hottest sex ever. 
And my five-year-old daughter is learning how to read. And that's right next to the Skittles. <laughs> right? I was, I was happy when she didn't know how to read as well. She didn't have to ask those questions. It's all around us. It's in our TV shows, and our movies. It's in songs that you listen to on the radio. It's in novels that you read. It's all around us. So we need to look at what Scripture has to say. Otherwise, we will have the distorted view of sex that our culture has. Because if we're honest, as we look at the view our culture has, it's incredibly confusing. And I think the biggest confusion around sex, as I talk to people, as I just observe our culture, is that we think it's just physical. And maybe you, you and I would, wouldn't say that, well, you know, we're, we're believers in Jesus, we know it's more than that, but sometimes we get wrapped in that as well, that sex is just physical. That you can hook up with some guy at the bar for the night. You can look at pornography on the internet because it's just physical. You can hide things from your spouse because well, it's just physical. I mean, I'm not hurting anybody. As long as we don't get anybody pregnant, as long as there's no STDs, as long as things are consenting, consenting it's just physical. But think about the, the gravity of our sexuality. Like, why is it when a child is sexually abused that they take that with them for the rest of their life? Why is it when someone is raped that, that they hold on to that, that they hide that, they don't report it to the police? Like, if somebody comes in and breaks, your, uh, breaks into your car, breaks into your home, what do you do? You call the cops. But rape, so many women hide that. So many men hide that and don't want to talk about that. Don't want to report that. Why is it that most all of our regrets have something to do with sex? Like as a pastor, as I talk to people, as I counsel people, I don't know how many times I hear, I've never told anyone this before. Like this may shock you, but I'm going to tell you anyway because I need to let this out. And it always revolves around sex. So if it's just physical, what? Why is that? Why is molestation such a big deal to get over? Why is divorce so hard? Because you've entered into a, a physical intimacy with someone. Why is that so difficult if it's just physical? It's not just physical. Right? Sex affects every area of your life. Physical, what you do with your physical bodies affects you mentally, it affects you emotionally, it affects you spiritually. Some of you, the, the most in tune with your brokenness in life, like as we preach on sin and the gospel every week, what you think about, what you're picturing in your head is sexual sin. And, and I didn't even mention that, but when you think about sin and, and getting over my past, what pops in your mind is that relationship. What pops in your mind is that pornography. What pops in your mind is that adultery. Sexual sin affects everything in our life. What we do with our bodies affects everything in our life. And God knows this. Like, this isn't a surprise to God. God knows sex isn't just physical. God created your bodies. He created you to be a, a sexual being. And sometimes what we do in church is we, we talk about sex over here, and we talk about God over here. And we think they're opposing one another. And what we usually do is talk about what sex is not for instead of 
what it's for. Maybe you grew up in a church like this where you just talked about what sex is not for and how not to go there and not to think about it and not address it. And so you now despise talking about sex. You now, me talking about this even right now, makes you a little uncomfortable because you've only seen it as gross and never as a gift. You've only tried to avoid sex and never to enjoy sex for how God designed it. And so we want to talk about how did God design sex. Listen to what it says in Genesis 2, 24 through 25. It says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife are both naked and unashamed. This is the way sexuality was intended for a man and his wife, that they would be naked and unashamed, that you wouldn't worry about your gut hanging out, that you wouldn't worry about bad breath, that deodorant is great, great invention, but you wouldn't worry about your body odor, that you wouldn't worry about keeping the lights off, naked and unashamed. This is the way God designed sex between a man and a woman who are in a covenant, a marital relationship to be a good thing, to be a, a right thing, to be a glorifying thing to God that didn't have any shame associated with it. But we also see it's for pleasure and enjoyment. Listen to what it says in Proverbs 5, 18 through 19. It says, let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breast fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. Married men, you need to memorize that verse. Single men, you need to wait on that one. <laughs> this is in the Bible. Sex is for procreation. Sex is for reproduction. But it's also for pleasure, for fulfillment, for satisfaction. Sex is created to be a good thing with no shame, a right thing before God that we don't have to hide, that we don't have to have shame associated with. It's a good thing. It's a right thing. It's a, a pleasurable thing. But that's just one verse. Listen, listen to what it says in Song of Solomon 5, 10 through 16, as a woman describes her husband. It says this, My beloved is radiant and ruddy. You know what ruddy means. It's amazing. Distinguished among 10,000, his head is the finest gold. His locks are wavy, black as a raven. His eyes are like doves beside streams of water, bathed in milk, sitting beside a full pool. His cheeks are like beds of spices, mounds of sweet-smelling herbs. His lips are like lilies, dripping liquid myrrh. His arms are rods of gold set with jewels. His body is polished ivory, bedecked with sapphires. His legs are alabaster columns set on bases of gold. His appearance is like Lebanon, choice as the cedars. His mouth is most sweet, and he is altogether desirable. This is my beloved. This is my friend, O daughters of Jerusalem. This is in the Bible. This is God's design for sex. That's why in 1 Corinthians 7, 5, it says, Do not deprive one another, because it's a good, it's a beautiful thing. Like, just think about sex the way God designed it. A oneness with another person. An intimacy that you don't experience with anyone else. Your strengths on display, but also your weaknesses on display. Unconditional love and acceptance. Unconditional 
grace with one another, that you're safe and vulnerable with another person so much so that you experience that kind of intimacy in a physical way through through sex. That oneness, that intimacy, that love is experienced and expressed through sex. It's a, a beautiful thing. Like, who wouldn't want to participate in that? If you're single, this should make you want to get married. It's an amazing, it's a beautiful thing. My wife and I have been married eight years, and sometimes we like to reflect, and this was a good week to do so because we're talking about sex. And we like to reflect on just how we met and dating and all that process and what that looks like now. And, and I remember when I, I first met Jaya, I was in a chemistry class, and I saw her across the way, and she waved at me. And I think she probably did that with everybody, but I came home and was pretty ecstatic about that wave. I told my roommate, like, this beautiful Indian girl, I saw her in chemistry today, and she waved at me. <laughs> pretty big deal. And my roommate's like, okay, get over yourself. Um, but I'm just like, yeah, I mean, I just, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what God's doing, but maybe. <laughs> Maybe, who knows? And, um, and I was laying on the couch, and I still remember it vividly this day, and I was laying on the couch describing, I never had a conversation, very stalker-ish. Um, so single guys don't do this. But I was laying on the couch having a conversation with him, and I just said, man, what if we, what if we dated? And what if we got married? And what if we had kids together? I mean, they would be so tan. It would be so beautiful. And my roommate's like, dude, she just waved at you. (laughs) Like, don't take this from me. But single guys also know that I had a dream, and eight years later, it happened. (laughs) So it's possible, but uh, we began to talk and and get past the wave and actually have a conversation. It's a good idea. And so we began to do that, and we began to spend time together and, and hang out with one another, and I, and I never could get up the guts to ask her out. I would, I would talk to other guys about six months later about, you know, I think Jaya's beautiful. She loves Jesus. She loves the Bible. She's evangelistic, like in so many ways that I'm not, and I just, man, I really, i just crazy about this girl, and they're like, you should ask her out. Nope. <laughs> That's not a good idea. I'm not going to do that, and So we let that linger, we stayed friends for a long time, and then finally, God brought us together, and we began to date one another and court one another, and I remember having a conversation outside of a church with my wife, future wife, and finally declaring that, Jaya, I like you, and the circumstances around that, um, I'll just share them now, why not? Um, (laughs) She had told one of my buddies that I'm done. We were at a, a seminar like this at, on a Saturday at a, at a church, and she walked by him and just said, I'm done. And so my buddy, after six months of knowing she liked me but never telling me, we're not friends anymore, by the way, um, he comes to me and says, dude, you should probably ask Jay out. And I'm like, why? Do you know something? Like, dude, she's liked you for like six months. It's like, Sam, are you kidding me? That's like brotherhood, number one. You have to tell me that. It's like, well, she's my friend too. And I'm like, shut up. No. Like, you have to tell me that. And so I, I was sitting outside talking to her, and um, I'd wasted so much time, probably at that time a year and a half. And uh, so Jaya, I tell her I like her and I want to date her, and she's like, okay, that's good to know. Well, this isn't just going to happen. Like, I want to be pursued. I want to be chased. Like, okay, I can do that. And so 
we went to her apartment, and um, I was chatting her up, and she had a foosball table, and I was like, yeah, maybe, maybe we can play foosball together. That'd be fun, huh? And she's like, yeah, if my roommate's here. Okay. So she, she gave me some challenges, and, but I, I overcame those challenges and pursued my wife, and we eventually got married. And what I dreamed of on that day, that creepy day on the couch, <laughs> came true. And now, <laughs> now eight years later, I'm married, and I love my wife. And we look back on that, and we look back on our eight years of marriage, and it hasn't been perfect, but we've, we've grown and we've um, matured together in our faith. We've had kids, and we have another kid on the way, and, and we've gotten to experience conflict and, and go through all those things. And um, as we look back at that whole process, it's beautiful. Uh, even with the, the sin, because there was sin. Even with the conflict, because there was conflict. Even with the creepiness, because there was that. <laughs> we look back, and it's beautiful, that's why when we celebrated our eight-year anniversary, we sit down, we have a glass of wine, we eat dinner together, and we celebrate what Jesus has done because marriage, sex and marriage, is a beautiful thing. It's such a good thing. It's a pleasurable thing. It's a right thing before God. That's why you have an anniversary. It's to celebrate all of that, your physical intimacy, your spiritual intimacy, your emotional intimacy with another person. It's an amazing thing. So why are we so uncomfortable? Like even now, why are we so uncomfortable? As I, as I said the word naked in Genesis 2 and you giggled inside. As I said the word breast in Proverbs 5 and you, you kind of feel a little dirty. Why is that? Because what God created to be beautiful and good, sin disrupted and distorted. That even as we think about sex and marriage and, and God creating it, sometimes a lot of us have walls up that we can't get through. That, yeah, okay, I, I know that hypothetically, but practically in my life, it hasn't worked out that way. Practically, I don't see it as beautiful. Like, maybe you look at your marriage and, and you can't see the beauty because of the sin, because of the distortions. Maybe as you look at our culture and it, it convolutes things so much that you, you can't see it as a beautiful and good thing. In fact, you're uncomfortable even talking about it with me right now because of your past sin, because of your current sin. I remember as a part of our experience, I remember sitting down with my wife when we were engaged and talking about lust and telling her that this is something that I, I don't do perfectly. In fact, this is something I, I struggle with and pornography and what that is and what that is about and I just want to tell you that and I remember going into that conversation thinking like this is going to be great like I'm going to confess my sin to her and and be open and honest and transparent and vulnerable in our marriage going into our marriage it's going to be great to get started that way she she wasn't too excited about that that wasn't too encouraging for her it was devastating for her because sexual sin is more than just physical because sin has distorted our relationship to sex. So we're uncomfortable talking about it. So we get uncomfortable hearing those words because God created sex pleasure 
and goodness and life, and we reject it. We say to God, like, I know my body better than you do. Like, pornography, I mean, sure, I can see intellectually how that might be a bad thing. I can see in Scripture how that's a bad thing, but I really have these urges, and I'm not sure how else to fix it. Like having that emotional relationship with that girl on Facebook. Like, I know that's wrong, but, but it's, it's kind of exciting, and, and I feel alive for the first time. And so maybe this is not so bad after all. Like keeping your sexual sin from your wife. Like that would be really painful. That would hurt her. I'm just going to leave that alone. And maybe there will be some distance. Maybe we'll experience that for a while. But eventually, we'll, we'll overcome that. Because we think, God, I know better about my body than you do. Like maybe it is just physical. And so I'm going to hide this. I'm going to conceal this. I'm not going to talk about this. That's sin. It's distorted. Everything we see, everything we experience about sex. It reminds me of a a cruise ship off the coast of Tuscany. You might remember this a couple years ago. It tipped over on its side. And there was about 4,200 people in the ship that overnight they had to adjust how they walked around the ship because it was completely tipped over on its side. And so what was the window became the door that you walked through. What was the ceiling became the floor that you walked on. And they had to adjust their perception of how to navigate through the ship and go to the bathroom and get food and and just survive. And what they said was, after a couple hours, they had simply adjusted their perception that the people got used to it, that it became normal. You see, the problem for most of us is we've seen sex distorted for so long that it's become our norm. That pornography on the internet, like that's just a norm in our society. Like I just saw it in a movie yesterday. Those guys look at porn, it's just normal. Like you see it in our, in our Hollywood and our actresses and actors. They just get divorced and you have trouble keeping up with whose spouse is who. You see it in your family and your relationships and your friendships as we date one another flippantly. As we go to different churches even and, and clubs even and hop around with different girls and different dating relationships and it's become normal. But you don't see that that's completely turned on its side. That's completely distorted. That it's not the way God intended it. But for a lot of us, it's become the norm. We've gotten used to it. We've adjusted our perception. God knows that our view of sex is distorted. And he is bigger than our sin. He's bigger than that distortion. He's bigger than that shame. He sent Jesus into human history to reposition our relationship with sex, to reposition our relationship with others, to reposition our relationship with God, the creator of the universe. As we are turned over on our side, Jesus entered into human history to reposition us, to help us see clearly, to help us get beyond our distortions, our walls that we have up because of our distorted view of sex. Jesus took on a body. I want you to think about that. 
Jesus took on a body just like yours, a body that you have sin and shame associated with. Jesus took on a body just like yours. It wasn't a glorified body. Jesus was fully God, fully man. He took on a body and he lived in it perfectly. Scripture says that he experienced every temptation, yet was without sin. And then he went to the cross and didn't die a figurative death. He died a bodily death on the cross. He rose again to conquer the sin that you've experienced in your body. We believe that Jesus is eternally fully man and fully God, that he exists glorified in heaven in a body. Do you see the significance of that? That Jesus became a body, became a man, became physical. He entered into the physical realm to redeem your physical body, to redeem your sexuality, to redeem your past sin, to redeem your current sin, so that you could enjoy sex as he intended, so that you could actually not just think about sex or read about sex as good and right, but so you could experience it, so that you could enjoy it in the confines of marriage. Jesus enters into this fray. He's not far off. You, you need to hear this morning that whatever your past sin is with sex, whatever your current sin is with sex, that Jesus has redeemed that, that he took on flesh, that he was crucified on a cross to redeem your physical body, to redeem your sexuality. Jesus is not disgusted with you. He came to redeem you so that you could experience all that sex was created for. Do you know that? Do you know that this morning? Like in your, in your gut, do you believe that? Functionally, like, do you love and engage your spouse that way? That's the only hope for glorifying sex that's joyful to you, is if you receive the forgiveness that Jesus has offered, is if you receive the substitutionary death on your behalf, that he died in a body to redeem your body, to redeem your sexuality. Do you believe that? Do you walk functionally in that? Or are you still carrying that baggage around in every conversation, in every relationship, even here this morning? Like, can you not see the gospel and the goodness of the gospel because of the shame of your sexual sin? There is definitely guilt with sexual sin. There's definitely consequences. You see it in the Bible. David had generational consequences for his sin sexually. It's a big deal. Some of you have experienced sexual sin against you. It's a big deal. Some of you have committed sexual sin. It's a big deal, but it's not bigger than Jesus. Like, Jesus is holy. Jesus is righteous. Jesus is good. And he died in a body in your place. So all of that could be redeemed. All of that could be conquered. Do you believe that? If this seems repetitive, it's intentional. Because you need to believe it. You need to functionally walk in this. And we don't. Right? We, we don't. That's why we don't like to talk about it. That's why in community group, we talk about prayer. We talk about how much we don't read our Bible. We talk about how we didn't 
fight clean with our wife. We talk about how we get frustrated. We talk about how we um, even envy houses or jobs, the success of others. But we don't talk about sex. We don't talk about lust. Because we don't functionally believe that Jesus' death is big enough to cover that. Jesus is inviting you to believe that. Listen to what it says in 2 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20. It says, or do you not know? You need to hear that preface. Or do you not know? Paul, the apostle Paul is telling the Corinthians, a people who did not understand sex as a gift, a people who did not understand sex as good and right and enjoyable before God. He, he's saying to them, he's reminding them, He's prefacing this statement with, do you not know? Because they probably kind of knew. They probably had an intellectual assent that maybe Paul was right. But he says, do you not know? Because he knows that functionally they're not walking in this truth. And so he says, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? You have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. Do you not know? You have been bought with a price. You are not your own. My prayer for you this morning is that you would embrace this truth, that functionally, that you would begin to walk in this truth, that your sexual sin of the present, that your sexual sin of the past, that what has been done to you, that what you have done to others, that you've been bought with a price, that you are not your own, that you belong to God. Not just your emotions, not just your spirituality, that your physical body, that your sexual body belongs to God, that he can redeem it for your, glory, for your joy and his glory. You're bought with a price. You belong to God. You do not have to hide. As you look at Scripture, you see Adam and Eve commit the first sin in Genesis Two, and then you see, what's the first thing that they do? They sew on fig leaves to put clothes on. They're no longer naked and unashamed. They look at each other and think, we need, we need clothes. What's the next thing they do? They hide. They hide because there's shame. You know, as we talk about sin distorting sex and what God created to be good, it comes down to one word for us, shame, that we hide. It's shame. Jesus doesn't want you to hide. He knows everything about you. He knows everything about you. He knows your past. He knows your present. And he doesn't want you to hide. He wants you to come before him in vulnerability and confess to him your sin. Because he's just and faithful to forgive your sin. He wants you to glorify him in your body. That your temple is, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. That you belong to him. He doesn't want you to hide. He wants you to go on and glorify him in your body that he has redeemed. He's redeemed your body positionally. He wants you to walk in that practically. And so here's what that can look like. Married people, don't settle in your sex life. Like take a night to get a hotel. Like a hotel is just not some place you go stay for a vacation or for your honeymoon. 
A hotel can be a place you go just for the weekend. Get a babysitter. Plan a creative night. Work at your sexuality in your marriage. Don't think it's just going to come awesome. Don't be the, the guy before you were married who just said, I got this. Like, I know how to do this. This isn't going to be a big deal. It just, just happens. Work at your sexuality. If you've been married for much longer, continue to explore. Continue to have those conversations. Continue to get creative in your sex life. Talk about your sex life. Like, start there. Actually have the conversation. Like, when you go home today, you got to do it now. We've talked about it. Ask your wife, like, how's our sex life? Ask your husband, like, how's, how's our sex life? Like, you think ours is, is good and edifying to one another and glorifying to God? You think we enjoy pleasure in sex? Why or why not? Have that conversation. Scripture speaks about it. You can speak about sex. God speaks about it. You can speak about sex. Have that conversation with your spouse. Talk about it. Work at it. Get a book on it. I won't share resources right now, but I do have a couple books that, that have been valuable in our lives. Come talk to me afterwards. We can get you one of those books. Begin to read it as a, a couple and talk about work at your sex life if you're married. And my hope in this church, we have a lot of single people. You guys raised your hands. We have a lot of young people in general in our church. My hope is that single people would want to get married because they hear how awesome your sex lives are. Yeah. Like, not bare details, but that in your group at church, in relationships, that you would talk about how awesome and beautiful sex is in marriage. That single people wouldn't think of marriage as stagnant and bored but they would see it as an amazing experience where two souls come together physically, emotionally, spiritually. There's nothing else like it in the human realm. That our single people would desire a spouse, not just for the purpose of sex, but they would see the whole two becoming one thing as a beautiful thing, not as a ball and chain, but something that edifies you, something that glorifies God and brings you immense joy. That's my hope for our church, that we would leave a legacy as married people that sex is good and right and enjoyable before God. Single people, and really for all of us, I want you to decide today by the power of the Holy Spirit that you're going to have a healthy relationship with sex. That despite your past, despite your present, that God has redeemed your sex life and that you can have a healthy relationship in your sex life, that you can be pure, not because you can white-knuckle it and accomplish it, but because Jesus' power through the Holy Spirit is working in and through you, that he's conquered sin and death, that he's not only freed you from the penalty of sin, he's freed you from the power of sin, that you would begin to experience that in your life, that you would decide today that Jesus is bigger, that he can move in and through my life to help me have a healthy relationship with sex, that you would examine your past, that as tough as it is, that you would take a moment even today before you leave to examine your past, that you would confess it before God and know that he has forgiven you, the blood of the cross is sufficient, that you would do that today and that you would see before you a hopeful, a good experience with sexuality as you pursue marriage. This is my hope for our church. This is my hope 
for our married couples. This is my hope for our singles, that we would experience what God intended in our sexuality. That if you don't know how to walk through this alone, which by the way, you can't, that you would today grab a friend that brought you. Today you would grab your spouse. Today you would grab your community group leader, your pastor, and begin to talk through the implications of this for your life. Sex is a gift. Sex is to be enjoyed. Sex is to be a wonderful thing in marriage. Do you see it that way? Are you walking functionally in that? We need to ask God for help, so let's do that now. Father in heaven, I thank you that we can come together this morning and talk about sex openly. I know that there's hurts and pains, even in this room, and and God, I, I pray for those hurts and pains. I know that some of those hurts and pains are from other people. I know some of those are self-inflicted. And God, that they put up a wall between us and you, and they put up a wall between us and one another, and they put up a wall between us and seeing sex as a gift instead of gross. And that even now, we're already ready to move on to something else. Like, let's just talk about sports. I mean, my goodness. This is awkward. This is uncomfortable. Like, I don't like dealing with this. God, I pray today that we would see in this moment that it's worth dealing with. That if we don't deal with it now, that it's going to bring up consequences later. That if we don't deal with it now in our marriage, it's going to bring up distance later. That we would deal with it now because you're big enough to handle it. God, I pray that forgiveness, that peace, that hope would reign in this place. Because of what Jesus accomplished on the cross on our behalf. That it doesn't just apply to our envy. It doesn't just apply to our pride. It applies to our sex. It applies to our lust. It applies to our molestation. It applies to our pornography. It applies to our adultery. That we were bought with a price. That we were no longer ours. We belong to you. Help us to believe that. Help us to walk in that this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.